Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. It's also great if you want to, like you're working with a coworker and you, you, you're both looking at your screen. You don't necessarily want all your personal tasks and things sitting on the screen at the, at the time. So you're going to focus on work or maybe even a specific project at work while you're working with that uh, person. Um, and then, you know, maybe I'll sit down uh, with my spouse at the end of the day and we'll focus on, uh, on personal things. And, you know, the work stuff isn't relevant in that context. Welcome back to another episode of Vibe Pros. This is a really special episode. Back in July of 2021, I spoke with Ken Case from the Omni Group about OmniFocus 4 that had just entered their public beta on TestFlight. Well, OmniFocus 4 is now out and available to everyone as a single purchase across Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. I had the pleasure of speaking with Ken again after OmniFocus 4's release, and in this episode, you'll be hearing both conversations. The episode will open with that original July 2021 interview, then conclude with their most recent discussion in December of 2023. Congrats to Ken and the team over the Omni Group for this awesome update to OmniFocus. And as a reminder, you can support this podcast over patreon.com slash Pros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Supporting the show at either place will give you early access to both iPad Pros and Vision Pros. Apple Podcasts also has a special heavily discounted yearly rate that is a great option for those that want early access all year long. With that, here's my discussion with Ken Case from July 13th, 2021. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Ken. Uh, thank you, Tim. It's great to be here. Absolutely. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. And um, for those that haven't listened to our past episodes, can you kind of like get, introduce yourself and what your role is at the Omni Group? Sure. So I'm Ken Case. I uh, am the CEO, chairman and CEO at the Omni Group. Uh, founded it with some friends 29 years ago. Uh, we actually... Uh, started out as consultants on the next platform so we were building custom software for uh for companies there and then uh when next was acquired by apple of course we ended up making that transition as well and bringing over our apps at that time the the app that we were best known for was our web browser omniweb but uh over time then we developed a suite of productivity apps uh, such as omnigraffle omni outliner Omni Plan and then Omni Focus is our most recent. Awesome. And you guys have been kind of all in on iPad since day one, really. And I wanted to, before we jump into Omni Focus 4, chat a little bit about how you see the iPad today. You know, back in 2010, you guys did the big iPad or bus post just, I think, like three or four days after the keynote. And <laughs> right. uh, I, I think the last time we spoke was right before iPad OS 13 was released. And um, like a little bit less than a year after that, the trackpad came out. So, well, where do you see the iPad today? Well, the iPad. Uh, of course, is always developing, but it still, I think, has that same sort of core principle that that Tim Cook talked about, where it's a pane of glass that can be sort of whatever the uh, the software makes it be, you know, whatever you want it to be. And so, I I see it as a really focused device where, you know, if I'm really going to do a bunch of multitasking, like uh, I'm go- I'm probably going to switch over to my Mac, where I currently have dozens of open windows, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but. But when I want to focus on a particular task, I have my iPad right next to my Mac, and I can just turn my attention to that screen, and whatever I wanted to be focused on, that screen is presenting it now to me, and it's a great experience for that. It's also, of course, a really great mobile experience where I can just pick that screen up and take it with me to a meeting, pull out the Apple Pencil and take notes, and uh, and so on and so forth. You know, it's a great, flexible device 
that I don't see as a replacement for any of the others. It's just a great complement to all of the others. Yeah. Do you end up using the iPad and the Apple Pencil in your own life as you're just on the couch and working on things? I don't use the Apple Pencil except in when I'm in person with other people generally. Uh, maybe in some of my meetings, I'll uh, come to think of it, yesterday afternoon I pulled out the Apple Pencil as I was sitting at my desk and having uh, a phone conversation with somebody and I wanted to take notes. But uh, in general, I use it for for that specific type of activity, taking notes, not uh, not as something where I'm using it every time I interact with the iPad. Uh, more often when it's at my desk, uh, which is where I most often end up using uh, this iPad for work activities anyway, uh, then it has the keyboard attached and I love using uh, that keyboard. Yeah. Do you see yourself using universal control once that uh, comes out so you can be like swapping between your two devices? Probably not so much. Uh, again, because it, from my from my point of view, the iPad is the, the place where I want to be, <laughs> when I want to be completely focused on something. Yeah. And so it doesn't really make sense for me to mix that with a uh, with a, I guess, diffusing that focus. Right. Yeah. Completely understand. Yeah. I do also use. I should mention iPads. You know, when I have a separate iPad that I use when I want to watch movies and so on. And so that's a great device to bring to a couch or, or wherever else and put on some headphones and uh, watch a movie that way. Yeah, definitely. So uh, last time we spoke, plugins had been had been introduced to the iPad. I want to do a little check in and see. You know, how's the plugin scene for OmniFocus developed over the past couple of years, and are there any new ones kind of worth checking out? Sure. Yeah. So th- at this point, I don't remember quite where things were at when we talked last, but there was an OmniAutomation.com website. I'm pretty sure that existed <laughs> a few yep. years ago. Yep. And uh, there's now a page on there, the uh, OmniFocus, um, OmniFocus Actions page, and it has 75 plugins listed that work, of course, across uh, all platforms. So they work on the iPad and also on the Mac and the iPhone. And uh, it's been really great to see the sorts of things that people are uh, building with it. Uh, you know, stuff from plugins that move tasks to projects in a more convenient way so they can bind it to a keyboard shortcut or something if they want, or they import task paper from clipboard or uh, that will take uh, the current thing that you're working on and say, well, I sort of did my piece on this, but now um, I'm waiting for a reply from somebody else. So it will automatically check off that item and then create a follow-up item this may be deferred for a few days or whatever and, and says, I'm wait, uh, awaiting a reply from somebody else. And uh, so all sorts of things like that, plugins for mail links and notes, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, uh, it, it's a great, uh, great resource. And it's been really fun over the last few years to see the community developing around this. Uh, we have a Slack uh, channel set up for automation specifically, and people help each other there build new plugins all the time. So today is the day that OmniFocus 4 is out of beta and released to everyone. I know we're recording this bit in advance. So Yay! It's probably, <laughs> it's probably hard to envision many months down the road, but uh, all the bugs are squashed and it's, uh, it's good to go. <laughs> what's the one to three-minute pitch of what's new and exciting about OmniFocus 4 for iPad? Sure. Well, with OmniFocus 4, I'll, I'll quickly mention that we were rebuilding this, redesigning and rebuilding the app. Uh, we decided that... Technology had developed enough over this last decade, and we have some great new frameworks available to us in the form of things like Swift UI, that we wanted to sit down and think about how would we build the app if we were doing it again from scratch today, rather than just taking this legacy code base and, and you know updating it again. And so we really ended up 
redesigning the experience around, uh, particularly on an iPad, that was that was our first focus, in fact, uh, for OmniFocus 4, is how can we make this better use the keyboard? Now that iPads have uh, a great keyboard experience, how can we you, uh, make sure that the screen is focused on your content more of the time uh, and avoid this sort of back and forth of going moving your focus from one pane to another that we had in version three, where you, you would have a list of tasks in the center, you'd have uh, some navigation for perspectives that would kind of change around between showing you a list of perspectives and maybe navigating within it that was your left navigation pane. And then over on the right, you had a detailed inspector pane, which is where you actually had to go anytime you wanted to edit. And, you know, that obviously served us well enough that... that has helped a lot of people, including me, you know, stay organized. But, um, but as I was thinking about, well, how would I really like this to look? I took some inspiration from reminders and thought, well, let's just start with giving people a list of their tasks on the screen, showing them that list as the central content and letting the, all of us edit it in line in place. And so we do all of our interactions in that main content area instead of being sent off to the inspector all the time. Uh, there's still a perspective list available. It's off on the left margin, and you can just tap on one of those to switch from one perspective to another with a single tap. Or you can use... Uh, it, some uh, feature that came over from the Mac, a quick open, and so you can use a keyboard shortcut, type Commando, type a few letters of your project, hit return, and now you're in that project instead. Um, but really, the the central part of what makes OmniFocus 4 interesting is this redesign around that content and making it editable, that outline. Uh, and that outline is now much richer than it was in earlier versions. Yeah, and when I discovered that it's not just this, you can view this stuff in this outline, but you're actually able to edit within it. That became super powerful because, uh, oh, this isn't just view only. You're able to edit anything you see pretty much on that outline. And you can customize what you want to see in that outline. So in some perspectives, uh, you know, if I'm looking at the list of the work I need to do over the upcoming week, I really want to see perhaps the upcoming due dates and uh, deadlines that are that are associated with those tasks. But in another perspective where I'm looking at, you know, it's a retrospective perspective, I'm looking back at what I did over the past uh, few weeks or recently, uh, there I might want to see completion dates. And so in each perspective, you can turn on and off the fields that you care about. And that helps declutter the screen because each perspective is not as noisy. It doesn't show you everything all the time. Uh, you know, we just had one view in, in the old version for the iPad and iPhone. Uh, but in... Uh, if you want, of course, you can have a detailed planning view where maybe you do have everything visible. And so you now have that choice of decluttering, focusing on a specific thing that's appropriate for that perspective, or uh, bringing it all back in. Uh, and again, being able to edit it in line now lets you see the context of what you're doing instead of jumping back and forth between detailed inspector screen and, and your list. Yeah, and that's a very important thing to note as you're using OmniFocus Forks. First time I opened it, one of the projects that I really want to see all my notes about each task. Uh, I, I couldn't see them. So I figured out, oh, I can actually edit this and I, I can see those now. So that is something to definitely tweak as you go project by project and kind of see what's makes sense there. Right. So Swift UI, uh, that's what this app is written in on all the platforms. And what was that decision like to, to jump to Swift UI? And kind of what challenges did you have to overcome to take this approach? Because SwiftUI is still not... It's, it's a pretty <laughs> new language, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's relatively new, certainly compared to uh, to the other things that we've been working with since... Well, AppKit since 89. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's quite a while. Uh, yeah, SwiftUI... But it's a lot of fun to work with. Let me, let me 
preface yeah. by saying that you you it's a very expressive language uh, you describe more what you're uh, trying to accomplish and, the, and leaving the implementation details to the framework of how it uh, gets there uh, and that can be really great when you're when you have something simple it, that it easily knows how to do it gets more challenging when you've described something and now it decided how to get it onto the screen but what we found is whatever it decided is now slow for whatever reason (laughs) so you know working on performance issues for example when it's uh it's all kind of well now how do i describe this in a way that would let it make this decision more you know repaint the screen more efficiently uh those sorts of things are the uh the challenges that we had to get used to uh and part of that is just the learning experience for us as we work with something new part of that is that it itself is rather new and it's changing a lot from year to year so when we started building, you know, we did some of our first Swift UI work probably shortly after that 2019 conversation. In fact, maybe yeah. if we'd done a little bit of Swift UI then, because I think it, it had been introduced and we put a little bit in a few minor places in our apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this big project of using it for core functionality in our apps, we started about the uh, last summer, uh, 2020, after WWDC, where they had made a bunch of improvements to Swift UI. And we thought, okay, it looks like this now maybe has the pieces we need to to be able to do things like this outline. Uh, fast forward another year, and of course this uh, this year at WWDC they announced a bunch more improvements. <laughs> and so uh, that's great in the uh, in the sense that we love seeing the technology that we're working with get better and better and, and advance. It also meant well, you know, some of the workarounds that we had done around performance and so on were no longer relevant. It's just time to throw out that code yeah. and do it yet again. Um, but uh, and it also meant, of course, that anything that we're shipping is going, you know, requires this newest version of Swift UI because we're it's changing so quickly. It doesn't really make sense to target something that is old and and will be replaced on everybody's devices over time. Right. Let's yeah. Let Apple fix their own bugs rather than trying to work <laughs> around them and just target the latest uh, working version. So and and of course, not just bugs, but they've added a lot of features that made our lives easier. Like. Uh, control over keyboard focus that's much richer than what had been there in previous versions. Yeah. And the SwiftUI code you write for iPad, I know it's not a catalyst app. There are separate Mac apps and iPad apps, but is that kind of transferable to the Mac? Does that make your work simpler to go cross-platform? It is, yeah. So one of the first experiments that we did was what happens if we build this outline and then what happens when we try to run it on a Mac? Unlike Catalyst, Swift UI on a Mac, well, of course, you can run it in Catalyst and it would right. be the same, where you're running it on top of UIKit. But Swift UI uh, can also natively run on top of AppKit, which is you know the app's sort of native uh, app framework. And uh, Swift UI running on top of AppKit has a whole different set of controls, for example, because they're all based on the AppKit controls instead of the UIKit controls. A UIKit being the uh, the development platform for the that was introduced sort of as a refinement of a stripped down version of AppKit that could run on an iPhone uh, originally. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so AppKit has always had more more options around things like its tech system or support for multiple windows, you know, because it was just a much more mature platform, you know, being 30 years old now and, <laughs> and designed for bigger screens that had more complex environments going on. Uh, and so, so the, the Swift UI code that we wrote in this outline to get it working on both, we found it actually did work, but then we had different bugs we had to fix on each side, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it's not 
um, necessarily that it's an identical code base, and it sort of still remains to be seen um, how much of the code will be completely reusable. But some of the smaller pieces of code, like just how do you draw a row of text on the screen, uh, or you know, a particular uh, task on the screen, uh, how do you draw the check circles and so on? Those sorts of things are completely transferable from from one side to the other. And so we get a lot of code reuse, even if we might not be able to reuse everything at the, the highest level. Simple apps can u- reuse everything at the highest level. I should mention that Apple has now made it possible to create a completely Swift UI app. But, oh, excellent. Um, yeah. But it's uh, but those completely <laughs> Swift UI apps are much more limited in, in uh, scope than you know what a full blown app kit my, app might have. Gotcha. Yeah. And long term, do you think the Swift UI focus with your own apps will enable the Apple Watch app to expand in ways it wouldn't work? be worth investing in otherwise or yeah absolutely so as we spend time you know thinking about how how do we present this information uh well i'll back up and say the uh the work we're doing right now is shared between the ipad and the iphone and uh and widgets on both and so widgets are actually kind of a lot like a watch in that they're a small little piece of screen real estate that you can present some information in uh, all that code we're already sharing for how do we draw a task to a bigger screen uh, iPad or all the way down to a little widget? Well, that widget code can also translate pretty easily over to a watch. Now, that doesn't help us with some of the upper-level application decisions, and obviously when you're working on a tiny screen, you have to make different decisions about how the app itself works, how you interact with it. And so there are levels of it that are still uh, very different. But yes, I think uh, having that code shared between platforms really makes it easier to invest in in those extra details on each platform once you get there. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you're going a bit beyond SwiftUI for some parts of the app, which would make, I'm guessing, Swift Playgrounds uh, for sure not an option with OmniFocus, but uh, perhaps simpler apps in the future. Yeah, Swift Playgrounds are uh, a really interesting. Well, I think it's a great development I th- for the iPad that you can now build an app on an iPad that uh, that will run on the iPad itself, right? It's a completely <laughs> yeah. independent app. It doesn't have to run inside an environment. Like for years, you've been able to write a little uh, program that might run in a web browser or might run in in Swift Playground's earlier iterations, or there have been other development environments for Python and Basic and all sorts of other languages, right? That Where you could write some code uh, that would run places, but th- it wasn't the same as being able to run an app. With this new version of Swift Playgrounds that Apple introduced at WWDC this year, you can uh, create a full-fledged app. Uh, I think it does all of the sort of back-end work of compiling and signing it on their servers, but then it sends it back to your system as now its own independent app that then uh, you can even submit to the App Store and distribute. So it'll be really... I think that's a great option for people who might only have an iPad. That's their only device, and they want to learn to program, uh, whether those are young students or older students. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm glad to see, you know, for the platform to really get where, it, um, to become a, a universal, I guess, long-lasting, self-independent platform, uh, this Swift playground step seems like a really important and good step yeah i'm excited to start playing around with that and uh, learning how to develop some simple things myself so that'll be fun yeah so uh, with OmniFocus 4 uh the ipad now has feature parity with the mac uh, there's been a lot of features that have kind of been mac only and uh you're finally able to bring them to uh the ipad with this you know swift ui rewrite uh, what were some of those big features that you've really wanted to get to the ipad for a long time now sure well the 
we, we've already touched on two of them. The uh, inline editing feature has been one that uh, that I wanted from day one, right? To just be able yeah. to work with uh, with your content right there in the outline itself. Uh, and I should maybe mention that outline uh, itself has gotten a little bit has gotten richer in the sense that it works much more like the Mac app has worked all along, where you can do things like expand and collapse subgroups and. Uh, and so on. And that's something that we've also really wanted a long time that customers have been asking for for years and years. Uh, w- quick open is another feature that uh, that I briefly mentioned before, but where you can type a keystroke to say, I want to open something. And then you can start just typing the a few letters from the name of whatever that is. And it will filter down your list of pr- perspectives, projects, contexts, and tags. Uh, sorry, not contexts. They are tags. Uh, tags and... Uh, Folders and projects. That's, those are the four different things that I was thinking of. Perspectives, folders, projects, and tags. And you can type the name of any one of those to quickly jump to that uh, and navigate there. Uh, and so that makes navigation, navigating around the app much more efficient if you're uh, somebody who wants to use the keyboard more often. Uh, or even on an iPhone, you, know, you can bring up Quick Open and type a few letters and, on its little software keyboard and still get there perhaps faster than trying to navigate up to a perspective and then back down into a particular project uh, as you would do in earlier versions. Yeah, Quick Open's been remarkable to hit, you know, uh, for one of my projects, VI, and there it is. There's projects to enter, and I'm there, and there's a little icon on the iPhone. And if I'm just in tablet mode on the iPad, just hit that icon, and it's, I think, faster than trying to go through my hierarchy, which, uh, you know, search tends to always be faster, right? Yeah, and, you know, hierarchy is important in in some contexts, and it's great to if when you're browsing, but it's also really nice to just have these sorts of quick shortcuts to get from one place to another. Yeah, uh, without having to build a custom perspective for each one, which you right. could do in version three. Uh, another, speaking of which, another one of the long <laughs> uh, requested <laughs> features. Uh, in fact, I think Karosh Dini requested this maybe a week after we shipped OmniFocus for iPad, <laughs> the version 1.0 you know, <laughs> yeah. a decade ago, was uh, the focus feature. Uh, and so for those who don't know, focus the focus feature in OmniFocus is uh, one that will let you focus the app on a particular area of content. Uh, and that can be a specific project, or it can be a specific folder, or it can be you know a, a set of projects or folders. Uh, and so when would I use that? Well, uh, let's say... I'm a student and I'm trying to dedicate some time from each class, uh, some time of my day to each class. Well, I want to be focused in on that class for that hour or two hours or whatever that I'm, um, that I'm trying to focus on it. And so I will just say, I want to focus on that project or that class. And now I don't see anything else in the app at all until I unfocus. Uh, And so I can switch from one perspective to another. I can see it organized by what have I completed recently or, you know, what's upcoming in my forecast, uh, and it's still all just focused on that specific task. Uh, or me, you know, not as a student anymore. Um, I, I use this in my personal life to switch gears between, all right, I'm focused at work during these hours, or I'm focused on home family life in these other hours. And so I have different folders that I um, put my projects into to, uh, to assist that focus. And then I, all I have to do is... Uh, change my focus whenever I want to change you know, to one of those areas of responsibility, whenever I want to be thinking about something else. Um, okay. And it's a great way to kind of let me time box how much time I spend on each area of responsibility. And by putting your projects in the folders, if you just go to that folder and hit the focus, the toggle focus button, it'll toggle to that just folder. Yeah, you can long press on it and just uh, say, I want to focus on this, or you can select it you know, by tapping on it, and then you can uh, use the focus command gotcha yeah because if you're in a if you're in a 
a specific uh, project. It'll focus on that project. Um, I guess it it'll focus as you go to different layers. If you want, it focuses based it. on on your selection. So whatever you happen to have selected at the time, uh, like if you have a task selected in a project, you ne- it never focuses more narrowly than a single project. And so if you have a task selected, it's going to focus on that task project. But if you have a project selected, it'll focus on that. Or if you have uh, the uh, a whole folder selected by um, by tapping on the folder itself, then then you've got that as well. Gotcha. Uh, so that combination of focus and perspectives really lets me reduce how many perspectives I have. <laughs> right. Because instead of having to have, here's my uh, forecast perspective for work, and here's my other forecast perspective for uh, upcoming medical appointments or whatever, right? You know, yeah. these sorts of things. I can say, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on this, and now I'll go to forecast, and you kind of combine your uh, your existing predefined uh, perspectives and rules that way. Um, and I didn't really talk very much about what perspectives are. So yeah. for those who uh, who may not have used OmniFocus much before, perspectives are just different ways of viewing your same data. Uh, so uh, there are different rules that filter what's in and out, uh, much like uh, some people might be familiar with, with from mail rules and so on, where you'll automatically file things in different folders. Um, your rules say, here are the things that I want in, here are the things I want out, here's how I want to group things and order things, and then uh, and then it presents you with that perspective and perspective. Uh, it's a really great planning tool. Yeah, and with Focus, I was trying to research when that was added to OmniFocus because I've been on the iPad so long. I had the Mac version back in 2007 or whatever it was, and I, I forgot. And I guess, yeah, it was there <laughs> day one. I thought it was in version three. You guys, I have no, it's been there forever. Oh, yeah, 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 no, it's it was part of our original design for OmniFocus on uh, when we built the Mac version, which, of course, came before even the iPhone existed, so yeah. much less the iPad. Uh, but it didn't make the transition over to uh, to iPhone and iPad until now, when we finally got a chance to really rethink, all right, how are we building this app? Yeah, it's super powerful, because I was like, oh, I'm in forecast mode. It's only showing me my forecast of stuff within that project. So it's, it just goes everywhere in the app, and that's just such a cool thing. It's also great if you want to, like you're working with a coworker and you, you, you're both looking at your screen you don't necessarily want all your personal tasks and things sitting on the screen at the time so you're going to focus on work or maybe even a specific project at work while you're working with that uh, person Um, and then you know maybe i'll sit down uh, with my spouse at the end of the day and we'll focus on uh on personal things and you know the work stuff isn't relevant in that context so yeah so i'm gonna ask this i'm not sure if it's too early to ask but focus mode is in ios 15 and ipad os 15 developers can read focus mode have you guys looked into the ability potentially in the future to match a focus mode to a different focus mode within omni focus for example yeah i think that is uh, a really powerful and important addition to the operating system you know again it's, it kind of matches the way i already use my ipad where i tend to be focused on one thing or another but it's great that now it can also focus what your notifications are. Uh, you know, you know, maybe as we're having this conversation, re- recording this podcast, I might care about something that is relevant to this, but I don't want distractions from other things coming. You know, various yeah. messages coming out on my screen. And so, having having that fo- ability to focus on different types of things uh, and filter which things matter at different times is really great. Uh, and I think there's a very natural fit for uh, how that would play in with OmniFocus itself. It, of course, you could imagine it fitting in with this focus feature that I just talked about, where OmniFocus would show you specific stuff when you're in the app based on what your uh, system focuses as well. Like maybe it would automatically, y- you would decide here's a focus that would get automatically associated with uh, with a system-wide focus. Uh, but you could also see it applying to 
different types of notifications that you get from OmniFocus. So during the day, uh, you know, you have these tasks coming from work projects, and maybe those are relevant to see during the daytime, but you don't want to see the uh, the home notifications until after hours, or vice versa, right? Yeah. That you don't want to be bothered with work deadlines when uh, when you're you know back at home playing with the kids or something. So yeah, I mean, thought about the notification angle of that. That that sounds amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I've uh, we still have yet to explore what all is possible. I think today somebody could probably you tie into some of the features we already have without us building anything ourselves beyond the uh, the automation capabilities we're already built. So what what I mean by that? Well, uh, focus I think can trigger automations right now. System wide focus changes can trigger shortcuts yep. in the shortcuts app, and so. Uh, of course, shortcuts can run Omni Automation code, and Omni Automation can drive everything in in the app already. And so, <laughs> you could use that as a uh, a driving mechanism where, when you switch system wide focus, it runs your shortcut that changes the Omni Focus focus to something. Um, and so, that's one way you could do that already. Or you know, maybe it would just briefly show you, you know, here's your forecast for this new focus that you just switched to. Right. Yeah. And uh, something that is super simple as well is. Uh, the- the home screen customization within iOS and iPad OS and having different OmniFocus widgets depending on which uh, focus you're on. Yeah, oh, being able to put widgets on the home screen, just have it take over the screen, uh, much like you could already do on the iPhone in, in last year, uh, has been a, a, a big thing for me in terms of my widget use, that I'm much more likely to, well, I do have now, <laughs> a, a screen <laughs> of just widgets, uh, which is my first sort of home screen on the uh, on the iPad. And then I swipe over to other screens when I want to see apps that are not in my dock. Yeah. Uh, although, to be honest, often I just use the keyboard to launch those apps. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll do a spotlight <laughs> type search. But. Yeah. Uh, have you kind of investigated what the larger size class for iPad widgets could enable for OmniFocus? There's, there's just so much space you have to work with. Yeah, there is so much space to work with. I mean, it... Obviously, it allows you to see more of the content of your perspectives in that larger space. So you can you can build. Uh, for those of you who haven't played with our widgets yet, we let you t- choose any perspective to show in that widget, and we let you make some decisions about like how many uh, lines of text you want to see per task, uh, what you want your font size to be, and so on. Because different people have different needs there, where you know some people can see really small text and they'd like to see a lot of content, and other people would really just like to see a, a big announcement. Here's, here's a few things that that are coming from my uh, from a perspective. So uh, obviously, this lets you get a lot more information or bigger information, depending on what your preference is, on onto the screen. Uh, it did occur to me, well, you could set up multiple side by side perspectives or something, but. One big widget doesn't really help you out there any more than just having several smaller widgets, right? You can already put several widgets side by side and have them be tweaked to d- be different perspectives. And so could we do something that's more useful than that? Well, maybe maybe not in that sort of thing. But I could imagine in some future views of your OmniFocus data doing something like a Kanban view uh, where you have different columns that represent the state of uh, a perspective. So a perspective is now uh, presented in a widget might have richer options for uh how you're visualizing that data than just seeing a straight list of tasks. Right, yeah. And perspectives, are they more customizable on iPad than they were in version 3? I'm trying to think of what, what what's changed with them with this new version. The definitions of what's in and out and grouping and so on have not changed because we're trying to keep that sync compatible between 3 and 4. Gotcha. But, yep. uh, but what we have added is something that we already had uh, on the Mac side, which is the ability to decide which fields are visible or not. Uh, so, you know, I, I mentioned that sort of briefly 
earlier about how in any perspective you could say in this perspective i want to see due dates but not completion dates but in this other one i'm going to see completion dates and not due dates that you can do that on a perspective by perspective basis now and uh that that customization was not available before on the ipad or iphone gotcha so OmniFocus began life uh, because Omni Outline, your users were uh, turning your app into a getting things done app. <laughs> and it's kind of come full circle with this outline view. Uh, has Omni Outliner influenced this view or your experience with outlining influenced, you know, how you've implemented this new outline view? Oh, absolutely. I mean, through uh, <laughs> through the whole uh, development of, of OmniFocus from day one, of course, it's been influenced by Outliner, not just because that was... Uh, the genesis where it came out of, but because that's uh, that's how we think about organizing. Um, that's I should say that's how I think about organizing my own work. As I I tend to build it into an outline, I sort of break down tasks into smaller tasks uh, that are uh, meaningful chunks to me, and then I can check them off uh, as I do them. And when you know all of the children are checked off, if I you know convinced that there isn't more work that I need to add to convince the, to consider the parent done, then I check off the parent and and so on until I finish the whole project. So, you know, in some sense, uh, the outline's influence is not new at all <laughs> to the uh, to the iPhone or iPad because it's been there behind the scenes from day one, even if we didn't really have a good I, I, uh, outline implementation on those devices. But uh, being able to have a better implementation on the device makes it so much easier to uh, to work with things like how do you enter your data? Well, you can just hit return, type in another task. Uh, hit return, type in another task, right? That, yeah. that model is so much simpler. And if you think of it as an outlining model, then what we were doing in version three, where every time you brought up another task, you were going to this specialized dialogue that would prompt you with a dozen fields, most of which probably were not meaningful for that particular task. And But yet there was always this sort of mental friction of, well, how much should I fill in? Do I need to think about the defer date? Do I need to think about the due date right now? What are the tags? No, no. <laughs> you know, just, just capture your information by hitting return, typing in like you would type into a simple text list. Uh, if you, there are other fields you often want to use, of course, you can tab over and enter data into those fields as well. But uh, but I think the mental friction around ignoring those fields is so much easier when you just see it in an outline where they're hidden most of the time. Yeah. And as I was using uh, the app, I just realized this probably lends itself better to exporting and printing. Is that something you guys have looked into? I know, I'm pretty sure Omni Outliner does quite a bit of that. Yeah, it does. And we do some on the Mac as well. Uh, but we we hadn't done it on the iPhone and iPad too much in the past, other than through like sharing options and, and so on. I see exporting and printing really as a, a different problem than presenting stuff to the screen because you often want, well, if nothing else, particularly if you're thinking about printing, you want to be thinking about, well, how does stuff paginate onto that? You know, where do the page breaks go? Where, how wide is the uh, the page versus how wide is your screen? Um, all sorts of decisions like that. So it's sort of like its own read-only screen that and of course, that's another aspect to it is that it's uh, it is read only. You're not changing it, and you don't see feedback when you mouse over things or touch things. Uh, and so, so it doesn't really make the job easier, I would say. But it does. It certainly maybe makes it easier for people to think about how they how a report might map to what they're seeing on the screen, just because the screen uh, has such better information already. Right. Yeah. And uh, the inspector panels are still there. It's an outline view, but you can still dive into the panels. Uh, how have those been redesigned with you know this knowledge that people will spend more of their time in this outline view rather than diving into the inspectors? Yeah. Well, so 
Uh, this may be something we have to come back and <laughs> edit later because, yeah. <laughs> depending. But uh, yeah, the inspector panels uh, have gone through a lot of rethinking over the course of this development. And one of the questions that we've had is, do we need the inspectors at all now that you can edit everything in line? Can we just move all of that editing function right into the main outline and you never maybe have a reason to go use that inspector? And so that, that's been uh, kind of a big open question through our development cycle and uh, until everything is shipped, which of course it will be by the time this is playing. Yes. Um, it's kind of an open question in my mind is where did we end up? Did we end up uh, deciding we could get rid of it altogether or do we still have them there? Uh, but, but I can mention that knowing that you're not doing your primary editing in the inspector anymore really frees us up to think about how to present data in that inspector better. Like is the inspector perhaps just about showing you more details of the content than you would ever want to see in line. Like maybe you would never want to see the modification date on a task in line in the, in the outline. Um, yeah. But you, but you would want to be able to reference it by pulling up the inspector or, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, other sorts of details like that. And then how can we present that in the most efficient way for viewing then, if that's sort of its primary focus rather than for editing, uh, you know, can we group the information in more logical ways so that things that are associated go, go together better. Uh, in version 3, we tried to make that inspector really customizable, so we let you hide things and show things um, you know, by dragging them up or below the sort of, here's the stuff that's hidden line. <laughs> um, but then that meant that all of these sort of different fields that you might want to hide or show had to be independent blocks that uh, that made you kind of lose sense of some of this hierarchy around, well, these things almost always belong together, right? Like the uh, due date and the, rep the repeat sequence are are very related, but so they ought to be presented together. So, so as we rebuilt everything in Swift UI, it gave us the chance to kind of really rethink what are the groups of information here, uh, and how do we present that? And because you can customize the outline where you're doing most of the editing, we didn't need to customize the inspector so much. And so we can focus the inspector on how do we best present that data, or do we present it at all? And can we get rid of it and just give you the outline so so that is the open question and uh we'll we'll see where uh whether we need to re-record this uh, <laughs> before uh, before this goes out to everybody or not yeah if you did have like a super minimal outline view I, i'm just thinking ipad how cool it'd be if uh, you could have multiple windows and if that second window could just be an inspector that matches whatever you're selecting i don't even know if that's possible to read what you're clicking and reflect it in a secondary window but that just thought that crossed my mind would be really interesting. I'm not sure if <laughs> worth pursuing at all, but just, I just thought of that just now. Yeah, yeah. No, it is an interesting uh, direction to think. Of. And we thought about that direction a, a fair amount when we were adding multi-window support to OmniFocus a few years ago. Uh, but then the uh, the confusion over, well, what happens when you close that window? And <laughs> yes. <keep this> other <laughs> yeah, yeah. Started to raise its ugly head and... Um, and so we maybe haven't pursued it as much as uh, uh, as it could be explored. Let me put it that way. Yeah, iPad OS 15, Apple brought basically full keyboard navigation to the iPad and basically navigate the whole system. And I believe they've I'm not sure if they have enhanced the support as well for developers to do more with keyboards in their apps. Yes, yeah, absolutely. They uh, they have a much better notion of where is the. Uh, the focus now, uh, the keyboard focus. Um, so when you type something, where is that input going to go than, than what used to be there? Well, OmniFocus for before the, before we <laughs> knew about what changes Apple was planning to make in iPad OS 15, uh, we were already very focused on 
this keyboard flow of how do we make this outline something that you can work with just with from the keyboard as much as possible like you shouldn't have to lift your hand from the keys uh unless you want to right Right. you should be able to just hit return type in those things hit return you know tab around between fields maybe type some keyboard shortcuts to get to different places more quickly including things like uh, the quick open navigation and so on so seeing this you know both made our lives much easier because they gave us some new APIs and also said, oh, well, I guess we need to uh, start over with some of this work because it's now going to be built on top of that new API. But the timing was actually pretty good because we had uh, we saw WWDC coming up as we were getting into that section of keyboard work and we thought, well, maybe we should just wait and see what's around the corner before <laughs> we uh, fight too hard over some of these uh, these problems we're working on. Do you have any favorite new kind of keyboard shortcuts you're utilizing within... OmniFocus 4 or even the iPad OS betas uh, on a system-wide level? Oh, that's a good question. I wouldn't say that I have a lot of new shortcuts that I've been using system-wide yet. Maybe I ought to be. <laughs> you know, I still <laughs> use command space mostly to switch between apps, yeah. uh, to, you know, quickly um, get from one place to another. Inside OmniFocus, I now, of course, use the new the shortcut that we did for Quick Open a whole lot. Uh, and, of course, I use those outlining uh, shortcuts a lot. Let me back up and say, our outline... Uh, keyboard experience has a rich history now, almost sp- spanning about 20 years, right, of, yeah. of development in Omni Outliner. And so I've gotten very used to having shortcuts for things like, I want to add an indented child, or I want to add a new item that is outdented uh, and is also a next row, right, all at the same time. Instead of having to press return and then indent or outdent, um, you know, I'll use these shortcuts for shift command, uh, right bracket, shift command, left bracket. Uh, I'll use shift return to insert a row ahead of the current row. I'll use, of course, up and down arrows to change my selection around. I'll use shift up and down arrow to extend the selection. Um, right and left arrows to expand and collapse the uh, the currently selected node or um, group. So all of those shortcuts are things that have been in Outliner uh, for, for now, literally two decades. And we wanted to bring that richness to the... OmniFocus outline on uh, in version four, and uh, and it's already you know made my life so much more efficient to just be able to use those outlining shortcuts as I'm entering a project there on my iPad. Yeah, because they're already second nature, even using them so long. Right, where I used to turn to my Mac in order to do the same work because it was oh, just right. I had that same capability there, and it made my um, my work more efficient to yeah. use the keyboard that way. And in the process of Apple doing this, they also basically added a menu bar to the iPad. It's just uh, accessed via the keyboard. Has that, uh, is that something you guys have looked into um, how you guys will implement uh, that on the iPad? No, I have. We may have to circle back about this yeah. <laughs> before this goes out because we have not looked into that in depth yet, at least that I'm aware of, I should okay. say. I, maybe some other people on the team have looked at that. Um, uh, but not having looked at it in... Um, the first half of July doesn't mean that by, um, by the time iPad OS 15 ships that we wouldn't have, you know, we've got a few months between now and then. Any other iPad OS 15 APIs or Swift UI additions that you guys are excited about for maybe not launch day, but uh, in the next year or so? Absolutely. <laughs> and I, But again, I think I will need to uh, yeah. <laughs> come back and circle back Absolutely. on some of them. And then uh, shortcuts now on the Mac, and that's going to make the work you do on iPad that much more effective because it's on both those platforms now. Where do you see shortcuts going for iPad, and you know how does it kind of interact with your existing automation kind of JavaScript approach? Sure. So I view the the existing automation stuff as uh, as sort of a foundation level that people can build other things on top of, and so. 
uh, you know, that's where you have full and direct, really fast access to our model of projects and ta- their tasks and the folders they live within and the different perspectives and so on. That you can manipulate things the fastest if you are writing some JavaScript code that runs right inside our app with this highly tuned JavaScript engine that it comes from Apple, right? That they ship in Safari, uh, and and so it is a really efficient way to to do some complex things. But it's not the most approachable thing, right? Like not everybody knows how to write JavaScript, right. and not everybody should. Uh, shortcuts are a really great approachable interface. You know, they, on on the Mac we had Apple Script for years and years, uh, which was meant to be the approachable interface, and I think it was a lot more approachable for a lot of people, but it was still not as approachable as uh, as something that did it visually. So Apple came up with Automator, and Shortcuts in a lot of ways, I think it has been inspired by the work that Apple did on Automator. Uh, but Shortcuts uh, also built a new sort of robust uh, set of underpinnings for how they talk to different apps. And so it's really great now to have that model uh, that was built for Shortcuts uh, be brought over to all of the platforms that we develop for so that you can run the same shortcuts on a Mac and have it do the same things with our apps as uh, as you would do on an iPad or an iPhone and have them be you know tie into this ecosystem where they can be triggered by your focus changes or they can be triggered by uh, location changes or uh, just scheduled you know all, uh, Siri commands so you can speak to it and say I want to do this and uh, it now drives your app uh, it, it also is a great way to bridge from one app to another because if you're building something inside OmniFocus and you're writing this JavaScript code, we do have support in there for calling out to web APIs. We have support for calling out to other apps with uh, with X callback URLs. Uh, and so, you know, you can talk from one app to another sort of that way. But it, again, it's it's something that only a true uh, computer geek is going to want to <laughs> sit down and do. Uh, whereas I think a shortcut, it, that might still be a bit geeky, but it's a much more approachable, uh, approachable level of geekiness. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we already see people, you know, for years now, for the last couple of years where shortcuts are available on uh, our iPhone and iPad apps, uh, take shortcuts that will um, pull data out of OmniFocus and then put them through a another app that builds graphs, for example, and then turn that into uh, widget content that uh, that is presented on their home screen. And, uh, you know, like, here's a graph of my upcoming tasks, uh, how many tasks I have per day over the next few days. And here's a, another graph showing me the uh, the burn down that uh, progress that I've made on this project. And another graph showing me, you know, just what I've completed per day uh, over the last week or something. Those sorts of things uh, are things that are much easier, I think, to build with shortcuts than um, than just the, uh, the Omni Automation JavaScript implementation. Um, so what's important to me then is to make sure that they all tie together into a, a cohesive ecosystem. And the way we've done that on the Mac uh, traditionally is we had a call in Apple Script that said, well, run this JavaScript, and then you could just run any arbitrary JavaScript. We have a URL that you can call, you know, people have been able to use in shortcuts for years uh, that says, run this JavaScript, and that worked um, in shortcuts. But in, but again, that was uh, a geeky way to do things that that involves some technical knowledge around URLs and what you can put in a URL, what happens with whitespace, how do you have to encode it, and so on. Uh, and so, really, uh, with version 4 now, you know, being able to just call a plugin directly and uh, that 
you know, yes, it was written in JavaScript, but in shortcuts, you just see your list of plugins and say, I want to call this one. Here's the input that I want to pass to it. Uh, makes life much more easy. So having that integration between shortcuts and Omni Automation, and then having all of those technologies, both shortcuts and Omni Automation, available on iPad and on iPhone and on Mac means that, you know, this is this truly universal automation path. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be exciting to see what people do with all this. Uh, it's very powerful being able to automate. Shortcuts really does expand its accessibility to so many more people. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes it easy to for people to share. Um, and it's nice that Apple has made it easier for in uh, in these latest updates for people to share shortcuts with each other without having to go to some scary preference and say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we mentioned Quick Open a couple times. It's one of my favorite new little things. And every time I use it, I kind of get a little smile on my face like, oh, I can do this now. Are there any little favorite additions that are just uh, things that people might glance over that give you a little smile every time you use it? Oh, sure. So I, mean, I guess I've, I've touched on the keyboard use generally, right? Like every time I know I can just sit down to that outline and work in it uh, the way that I'm used to working in that outline on a Mac, but I'm doing it now on my focused device um, is is really, uh, it just makes me happy. Yeah, it makes me smile yeah. <laughs> each time. Uh, one touch perspective access, you know, the uh, in OmniFocus 3, you often had one touch perspective access on an iPad anyway, uh, where you had this column on the left and you could just touch one of those perspectives. Unless the perspective you touched was projects, and then it switched over to showing you a list of projects in there, um, so you could focus in on a particular project and navigate there. Uh, in in version 4 now, we always keep those perspectives visible as just a strip along the side. Of, uh, if nothing else, you can, you, know, you can narrow it down to just the icons, uh, and that's all I need to see anymore now that I know what all my perspectives are. Um, and so, in knowing that those are just one tap away um, is also, uh, you know, one of those uh, features that brings a smile to my face. Uh, and that's something that, as we're recording this, does not exist in the iPhone app. But by the time anyone is hearing this, I hope does exist in the iPhone app as well. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, the perspectives, uh, they've been on the Mac for a long time. And I think in the early days for iPad, you could create them there and they'd sync over to your iPad. And I still have a a very old podcasting one with the very old icon that I should probably update at some point <laughs> back from the early days. Uh, but yeah, those have, uh, yeah, it's been fun to see that get more and more full featured on uh, the iPad iPhone as well. And I guess one last thing that comes to mind is being able to see my notes in line. So uh, in, uh, in OmniFocus on the Mac, you've always been able to expand the outline to also show you any notes that you had associated with the task. Mm -hmm. And those notes can be paragraphs long, they're rich text, they have attachments and, uh, you know, that you can add sound attachments or picture attachments, whatever you want <laughs> in those <laughs> notes. And they've always been very available on the Mac because they could, they're just part of your main window. Uh, they can be hidden or, or visible whenever you want them to be. On the iPhone and iPad, they were always kind of buried because they were off in the inspector. They were on their own dedicated tab in the inspector and, and the tab was split up between the, uh, the notes, the text part of the notes, and the attachments part of the notes. Uh, and now all of that is unified just into that main outline. You can expand and, uh, and collapse the notes, you know, depending on what level of detail you want to see at any time. But being able to see those notes just in line in the big part of my screen instead of buried off in a corner, when I have a, a note that is truly relevant to a task, that's, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just makes me happy to not have to go searching for it every time. Yeah. 
One final question. Um, the approach to drag and drop in OmniFocus 4 on iPad, what is it uh, this time around? Um, as far as dragging in images to add to a task, are you able to do that with an outline view? Are you able to drag a, a project to a, make a new window out of it? Or what, what's kind of the general approach with drag and drop for, for iPad this time around? Sure. So uh, all of those things are things that we want to do, be doing at the, it's right now as we record. This may be one of those things we have to circle back on yeah. later because uh, it is not implemented yet because drag and drop is one of the areas that is not very well supported in Swift UI yet. Gotcha. Like it, it only is supported in certain contexts. Uh, in fact, gestures in general are kind of hard to... like. It's hard to add a swipe gesture gen- generically. We, we kind of have to do a bunch of work around... I guess it wouldn't be Swift. It would be more like having down to Swift UI to get to those details. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I, I hope that we will be able to do all of the, uh, the normal outlining interactions where you're dragging, of course, a row from one place to another. And that, that I think is working already today. Uh, you can drag a row from one place to another in the outline, um, to move it around. But we also want you to be able to drag, Ideally, from that outline to if you see a project in the navigation sidebar, you should be able to just drop it on a project to, you know, assign it to that project. Um, if yes, I, you should be able to drag something off to the uh, edge of the screen if you want to create another window that is now open on that particular thing. Uh, we we did support that, I believe, in version three. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it is gone right now in version four, but it ought to be coming back. Excellent. Yeah. It's interesting. Swift UI. Uh, being hard with gestures like Apple should work on <laughs> uh, it being a very common thing for iOS devices to need. Yeah, it's one of the, I think, issues with, of course, part of the goal of Swift UI is to be able to write something that can run on iPad or on Mac. Uh, and Mac has a very different notion of what gestures you can have, right? You don't yeah. have a multi-touch device and you don't have. Uh, and so the whole experience is different. So they sort of added this gesture support around uh, a limited set of scenarios like oh well you want to be able to drag things around in a list um at least that is my understanding and right. i'm not the person working on that part of the code so <laughs> so apologies if i got any of that wrong sorry anyone out there working on you know from apple working on this um yeah uh, i'm i'm not an authority on that particular yeah. subject and i just uh i was thinking about review mode uh briefly and um i was thinking with the apple pencil if there was any kind of clever things you guys can envision using that for like scratching off uh, something that's done in only review mode it kind of recognizes it as some kind of special input there i think we could i think we could yeah i we have not given that a lot of thought the the level of thought that we've mostly given toward apple pencil is just around being able to do uh scribble entry and uh and of course some level of that just works right? right you put um you start scribbling into a text field and that works but we also want to be able to scribble on the blank parts of an outline to add a new entry to it for example yeah uh, and I'm not sure how much of that works in the uh, the test flight today as we record this, uh, but I sure hope that it's all working by the time it should be. Yep. <laughs> For sure. And then anything else about OmniFocus 4 in general, um, whether it's the iPhone or um, any other platforms you want to mention before we wrap it up? I'll just note that it's been great to engage with our community during this test flight process, you know, to uh, find out what uh, what. Pe- people's favorite changes are um you know like hearing from you that you're enjoying quick open that's that's great to hear i I love that you know it's always rewarding when you do um, work on something and you find out that it is helping people and so so that's been fun and it's also been really fun during this process to be able to rapidly iterate our design based on the feedback you know because we're using swift ui uh and this new declarative 
model for building our apps, uh, it's uh, sometimes at least a lot easier to make some changes uh, to our design based on on what we're hearing from people than than in the past where it felt like our code had maybe gotten to kind of a calcified state. Part of this is just starting over and rebuilding things from scratch. We we know where everything is again. <laughs> you know, we haven't forgotten over the last decade. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, what what was that behavior and why did we do it that way? Um, uh, so this process of engaging with our customers, uh, you know, talking with everybody on Slack and finding out, well, yeah, this thing isn't really working for us. I'm like, well, okay, then uh, what if we make this change and, and how do you feel about it now? Um, and getting that immediate and direct feedback has been uh, really fun. And, and we really appreciate, you know, everybody who was involved in the uh, the test flight process, you know, both uh, encouraging us and telling and warning us away that, you know, no, that's not working for me, please. Uh, you know, <laughs> or you, you've uh, stepped on some workflow that's been important to me. Um, can you please uh, bring that back? Yeah. As I've been listening to ATP with their talk of Swift UI, um, they mentioned sometimes that you need like a Mac Pro uh, to render Swift UI well or just get an M1 Mac. Uh, have you guys been on M1s to, to do most of this work or a beefy Intel Mac for, for most of this? Uh, we bought M1s, uh, M1 minis for everybody when oh, they nice. came out. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, we, we love our, uh, our M1s. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They, they made our compile times go down. They made, uh, there's such nice devices to work with, even though they have less memory, they, uh, they get more done uh, per minute. Well, that's my discussion with Ken from July of 2021. Now, here is our most recent chat in December of 2023, discussing the app's release. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Ken. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here again. And uh, congrats on the launch of OmniFocus 4. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> very exciting. Uh, I saw that uh, come through the social media channels. Like, oh, that's awesome. Got it. Got it out the door but in 2023 that's that's great news it has been a fun project big project i'm super glad to have it now be the default version of omnifocus that people see when they go to the app store and search so yeah no it's great so we last spoke about omnifocus 4 back in 2021 july i think is when it went to the public test flight and that's what everyone has just listened to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so um, I went back and listened to that and want to just ha- open with a couple follow-ups from that because early on in the beta, we're not quite sure how the progress will progress, you know, with, with the betas. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So first things first, inspector panels. Uh, where did those land? I know there were talks of uh, will the inspector panels even be necessary and uh, where, where did uh, that progress uh, end up? Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the interesting uh, bits of experimenting that we were doing. Like we were trying to figure out could we get rid of inspector panels altogether as we make the main outline itself richer, right? Like all of the editing used to happen in the inspector and in, in OmniFocus three on the iPad and on the iPhone, and so uh, it wasn't called the inspector necessarily on the iPhone. It was kind of like a detailed screen, but it had the exact same features, functionality, <laughs> the purpose, um, and so. Uh, as we thought about, well, let's make the outline itself editable. We thought, well, do we still need that inspector? Can we make the outline do all of the editing in place and rich enough and so on? And what we realized was we could, but it would get very cluttered. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know, we don't, we didn't want that level of clutter. We decided that it was cleaner to leave the inspector available when you needed access to that detail, but to never force you to go there. So if you didn't need that detail, you could stay in the outline and have the sort of simpler stuff. And you can customize which fields belong in the outline, which fields belong in the inspector. And either way, you know, you kind of get that control. But uh, 
but we think there's still a purpose for it. And it comes in especially handy if you're doing any sort of batch editing where you select a number of rows in the main outline and then you go to the inspector and say, well, I'm going to modify all of their due dates at once or assign as tagged all of them at once or whatever. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I imagine some people just, they like... They like inspector panels. Like it's a it's a comfortable like <laughs> old school thing that still makes sense. Uh, to, as, as you said for batch uh, inspector inspecting it, especially. Right, right. So, um, and then back in 2021, we had just got the introduction of iPad keyboard support more kind of fully rolled out. Did you guys um, end up with the keyboard implementation for the iPad end up just mirroring? With the Mac got, as far as the whole file, you know, basically the iPad has this menu system um, similar to the Mac, but it's hidden beyond the keyboard panel. Is that kind of mirrored on the iPad, or where did that end up? Oh, there's so many bits of that now that I think about it. But that uh, it, no, we did not end up in the same place as the Mac because the iPad itself has you know a different interaction mechanism, and like one of the biggest differences. Uh, for that we noticed it um, we didn't even realize this sort of at first and we were we were trying to make the ipad outline editing experience um work much like it worked on the mac and you would tab between fields and so on and then what we realized was that's not how any normal native mac you know really good native ipad apps work they expect that tab is going to take you like to another top level pane and you use your arrow keys within the pane to navigate to get to your field and then you know maybe you'll do something else to start editing that field but it's not uh so it's a very different model from the mac where you've always kind of tabbed through your fields and so uh so we uh, so we, we decided, no, we're not going to bring the Mac experience over there. That that would be wrong for the platform. Let's bring the iPad experience and do it right. Excellent. IPad. Great. That, that's that's the that's the right answer for iPad. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. not the Mac as much as some people want it to be. Uh, it's it's really not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want a Mac, there is a Mac. It's also available. <laughs> <laughs> It'll have a very Macy awesome experience there for yeah for that. So. Another thing back in 2021 is Swift UI. It was it was a youngin back then. It's it's done a lot of maturing over the years. <laughs> um, back in its earlier days, drag and drop was a bit of a challenge. Uh, has Swift UI progressed in a way that allows drag and drop to be where you guys want it to be? I think we've gotten it to a pretty good place now in version four. So we have a lot of the same drag and drop interactions between the apps. Uh, you know, where you can drag something for mail and drop it into an outline and it will create a new item based on that mail message with a link back to the mail message and, and so on. You know, all of those sorts of things, both across uh, across apps, like in that example, or within an app where you can drag stuff around within a row and have it and go to the right place. It, uh, all of those interactions now work. I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't a challenge along the way. And I think, uh, I think the APIs... Uh, well, I know certainly some, many of the Swift UI APIs have improved over the last few years. So, uh, so what was challenging in 2021, um, some of it got solved, and we were able to, you know, we we ended up shipping with a requirement that not that you have the latest iOS 17 release or iPadOS 17 release, but you, you can use iPadOS 16. Uh, of course, in 2021, we were talking, <laughs> we were still on iPadOS 15. And and at that time, we were hoping, you know, we were looking at, well, do we even require that? But, um, but yeah, Apple didn't make enough improvements that it was worth deciding, yeah, let's, let's stay with the, you know, what's current and not, or, you know, one generation back, but not. Gotcha. Yeah. So 16 is required, but not 17. Right. 
Okay, excellent. Um, what were some of those big takeaways from this beta cycle? Um, like, you got a lot of feedback from the community testing this out, and I'm, I'm sure this beta cycle was probably a bit different with the Swift UI and kind of like giving feedback to Apple as well as things that would be great to have for this release to, to really make it sing. Yeah. Well, one of the things you already touched on is your very first question. It's like, what do we get rid of the inspectors or not? And, you know, part of the way we made that decision was experimenting with things, trying them out, and then seeing how people reacted, <laughs> what they got <laughs> frustrated by, whether they felt it was too busy, uh, you know, what, what worked and what didn't work. And uh, so that opportunity to run, uh, you know, to take the time, I guess, to run these different experiments, do a bunch of iteration, and eventually, I think, you know, landing in a place where we could provide all of that power still, but make it so much more approachable to begin with. And so um, I think the, the long test cycle was key to make, finding that balance and doing yeah. it this way. Yeah, because OmniFocus 4, it is like such a... It's substantial. It's, it's a Swift UI. It's, it shares the same database structure as OmniFocus 3, as we'll talk about. I forget. I'm trying to think back with the 2 to 3 update. In the past, you guys would break database sync uh, between 2 and 3. I'm trying to remember like some of the other big updates. We try not to, generally speaking. between, um, but Or often what we will do... <laughs> I mean, if... if Syncing with two breaks if you upgrade from one to two, for example, um, and now uh, your database it doesn't let you go back to version one. That makes it really costly for people to decide. Well, do I want to try this out or not? Yeah. Um, is it worth it for me, or am I going to just stick with one? Well, I don't know, and I'm putting my data at risk, so I'm not going to bother because it's too risky, and uh, and so I'll just go back. Or maybe they do it and they didn't even evaluate the risk, and then they change it. They do decide. Uh, they want to go back or maybe they still have some old devices still running the old version. Uh, and so they have to keep um, the old version that supports the old devices. And then they're also running the new one. So we've always tried to maintain some syncing compatibility. And in fact, OmniFocus 4 can still sync with OmniFocus 2 if you have an old OmniFocus oh, 2 baseline. <laughs> so we've yeah. maintained that compatibility very well. But that said, some of the capabilities that we've introduced along the way uh, did, mo you know, we did have database migrations in there that, introduce new capabilities, like, uh, for example, floating time zone support. And so uh, as you make those transitions, you do lose the ability to sync with the older version. Uh, but it's based on what capabilities you adopt and when you make the migration in your data rather than which version of the app you're running and, and when you chose to do that. And so, um, and uh, to be clear, if somebody does get in that state where like they've migrated to the very latest version and then they realize, oh, but I still have to sync with, um, you know, an early version of OmniFocus 2, uh, they can contact our support team. We have an internal tool that can help roll those extra capabilities back out of the database and um, and restore it back to that's, people. That's but, great to hear. So I could I could dig out my my 2011 MacBook Air and fire up a, a version of OmniFocus. <laughs> if you're really eager, in fact, you could go all the way back and bring it back to an OmniFocus 1 compatible database. <laughs> but, uh, but you will lose a lot of things along the way, right? You'll lose yes. uh, support for multiple tags on a task. You'll lose um, 
as I said, support for floating. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, some of the features that were headline features last time around with OmniFocus 3, for example, that's probably what you were thinking of, like the multiple tags on a task. That didn't work very well with OmniFocus 2 because they didn't have tags. Uh, we rolled out an update to OmniFocus 2 at the very end that just let it sync with that latest version 3 so that you could kind of keep live in both worlds a little bit yeah as long as you didn't try to assign more multiple t- you know like it would take the first tag and it would make the, that the context uh, yeah. which is how omnifocus 2 worked <laughs> but yeah uh, it, it's always been kind of a, a fun challenge i guess to <laughs> think about how do we manage that um and but we set that out as a pretty important goal right from the start because we do think uh, putting that hurdle in people's way right when they're trying to make a decision about well i see all this other great stuff uh, but am I really ready to let go of the old version everywhere yet? Uh, it's, it's, it's too much of a burden. No, yeah, it's an important design uh, constriction to put yourselves in to try to do that. To, and yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah. And and then within a cycle, uh, then we start to introduce those other features and say, okay, well, here's some things that if, you, if you're ready, if all of your systems are now running on Focus 3, you might want to grab the latest version and migrate to the latest thing and start adopting this new feature or whatever. Yeah, I think OmniFocus 3 sometime in there, I remember there was like a, it asked me, do you want to migrate to this new thing that breaks and you explicitly tell it to do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think we actually, I actually asked this last time, how do you personally use OmniFocus? Like what kind of perspectives do you have? Are projects just vague, like one project per app that you're developing or... Um, like, how do you kind of structure your database and use it personally? Sure. Well, I don't. Actually, I do. I have folders for uh, for apps because um, I save the within those folders. I have uh, projects per milestone mm-hmm. because I really like being able to complete a project. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to complete. You know, the app is never done. It's not okay. This app is complete. I can set it aside <laughs> and I never work on it again. Uh, a milestone is done. Uh, yeah. A release is done. So OmniFocus four was a was a milestone for sure. You know, uh, there were um, other milestones along the way. Even to you know, like, are we ready for a test flight yet? Are we ready for um, the Mac test flight? Are we ready now for? you know, are we past the design freeze milestone? So uh, that's how I break it up. And then I am able to get that sense of satisfaction that yes, <laughs> this, this milestone is now complete. And, uh, and now I'm just have these other milestones. To yeah. go on. Excellent. Yeah. So for those that were using beta one on the test flight back in July of 2021, uh, say they just use that first test flight and then they, you know, they maybe got off the test flight and then just now they're back. What kind of what what what's, <laughs> what what what's have been some of the bigger changes made <laughs> during development? Oh, wow, goodness, yeah, yeah there have been a, uh, a lot of changes over that time. Uh, so, I guess as I mentioned, we we did a lot of experimenting with the outline itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performance is drastically better, uh, dramatically better. <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe a better word. <laughs> Drastic is <laughs> it's a scary <laughs> word. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's dramatically improved, uh, and that's partially due to the work that Apple did on their end to improve SwiftUI. So, you know, based on some of the feedback they heard from us and others, uh, you know, they uh, and probably their own work as they started using SwiftUI in more of their apps, they improved what was available for us to use as our sort of underlying language for implementing stuff. And, uh, and that let us make the outline faster. And, uh, so that, that was a big factor. We cleaned things up quite a bit. We, 
Um, I don't remember exactly when we introduced the perspective bar along like the bottom of the iPhone and along this, it, it was, I think along the side of the iPad pretty early. Uh, so, you know, if we're just talking about the iPad context, uh, being in the iPad pro. Yes. Cause here, uh, if you remember um, back, iPad was where this all started. You mentioned to me that iPad was the yes. very first crack at OmniFocus 4. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we, we knew that, uh, we wanted to bring a lot of the capabilities that we had on the Mac for a decade, 15 yeah. years, <laughs> and bring them over to the iPad where you would have a, you know, potentially have a keyboard. At least I do on, like, not on the one that I'm using face with you with FaceTime yes. right now, but on this <laughs> other one that's on the other side of my desk, I've got a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> always attached. And, uh, and so the, you know, we wanted to make that experience it, again it's not going to be the the platforms are different so it's not going to be exactly the mac experience but it is going to be a much richer experience than um than when the ipad was more more limited yeah. it's, it's grown over the decades <laughs> since the introduction decade yeah. and a half right uh, yeah whatever yeah it's, it's not it's quite wild i feel very <laughs> <They're> old thinking <laughs> back oh well the ipad was <laughs> introduced a long time ago yeah almost 14 years now yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. So you've been living and breathing OmniFocus 4 for a while now. Um, what are your personal favorite new little design tweaks or new features that you're just so happy to be able to use now day in and day out with OmniFocus 4 being released? I think the biggest thing for me is having that uh, editable outline right in place, having it um, be dynamic where you, know, you tap on an item and it expands to show the extra details of the fields. But then when you uh, stop editing that row it collapses again and you have a nice clean list of you know here are the titles of your tasks and whatever other fields you may want to see all the time but um but it doesn't have to be more than that really if you don't want it so uh, uh and so i think that both makes it cleaner as i look at it you know i feel <laughs> since i can you know eat more easily see the whole structure of my project that way uh, but I also know that I'm not going in and out all of the time to go edit things, right? I, I felt like there was a lot of tapping in, tapping out, tapping, navigate, tapping, like in the old iPad sidebar, we had a sidebar for navigation, but yeah. it kept switching modes of, of, okay, are you looking at your perspective list? No, now you're down in your folder list and your project list. And you would have to go back up and back down and back up and down and, and um, so that that for sure is one of the, the big things. Having I love the the arrow where you hit navigation. the back button to go back where you previously were. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that navigation history is not only useful in and of itself, but it helped clean up other things too. Right, like in the old uh, OmniFocus three, if you had a, a link in your uh, anywhere in the uh, tasks that you were looking at or project or whatever. If you had a hypertext link that you followed, or if you were looking at a task and you say, okay, well, I want to view the associated tag and its tasks, or I want to view the project that this was in, if I'm looking at the tag view already, uh, or forecast or whatever. In all of those cases, because navigation was such a pain and getting back was such a pain, we thought, well, then we have to kind of put a little barrier in front and say, are you sure you meant to do that? So you, you didn't accidentally tap and get somewhere where you'd have to spend a whole bunch of taps to get back to where you'd been before. Uh, whereas now with this, you know, with as simple a thing as putting a back arrow back up, up in the toolbar, now we can get rid of all of those dialogues. And anytime you tap on a link, we just instantly take you there. And if that's not where you wanted to go, or if it was an accidental tap or whatever, all you have to do is tap the back button. <laughs> so much better. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Is F I'm trying to, Think. Um, I haven't tried to do this in a while. In OmniFocus, is is everything linkable? Like, 
could I throw in my reminders app uh, uh, a reminder that links directly to OmniFocus to do X thing in OmniFocus? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So if you uh, if you long press on you know any task, for example, you can then say I want to copy this the link for this task, and then you can paste that somewhere else, uh, and you'll um, it can be in another task's notes, and so you can cross link things between your notes, or it can be in another app, and it will open OmniFocus and open that task. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I thought that was. And, in and there. you can do the same thing with yeah. perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you can jump straight to a perspective. That's great. Or to yeah. a project or tag or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. Perspective would be, yeah. Focus modes could, I could imagine something uh, <laughs> toggling stuff. Yeah. Um, so OmniFocus 4, as we t- spoke about, began life back when iPadOS 15 was in beta. And now we're in iPadOS 17. So I'm curious, <laughs> during this process, Apple's been adding these new features. Were, during this process, were you able to take advantage of any of the new OS level features from 15, 16, or 17? That you didn't even know were a thing when you started to work on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so glad, you know, this is another place where I'm so glad that we did this transition to Swift UI. So that it made it so much easier to repurpose that code and use it in more places. Because not only is it cross platform across devices, so, you know, we can now share the code be- between Mac and, I- <laughs> uh, and iPad and iPhone and Apple Watch. Uh, and Vision Pro, yes, <laughs> forthcoming. <laughs> uh, but in, uh, it, but it also lets us repurpose stuff within a device, and so we were able to take, uh, you know, a lot of the logic that we use for drawing our perspectives and the tasks within them, and so on, and reuse that uh, for the new widget support that iOS 17 introduced. So we have interactive widgets now. You can. Have and of course, obviously, we didn't know iOS 17 was coming, and that feature was coming when we were looking at this a few years ago. But uh, but it was then easy to take all of that same logic, and now you can check things off right there on your home. Uh, your sorry, what what are the terms in this? Spring, all all of the different things in different places. Screen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> the home screen. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can put the widgets wherever you want them, or your lock screen, or whatever. And as you you can check things off right there, then and there. Yeah, the lock screen has widgets now. I, I always forget about those because it's just an iPad. I just unlock that that sucker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I look at it and it unlocks on on that other <laughs> iPad anyway. <laughs> so. The iPad finally now understands that external displays can be used as external displays, not just some kind of like dummy monitor for Keynote or whatever. Uh, what's the experience like of using OmniFocus on the iPad with the giant external display like is, versus like the Mac experience? So you have a big OmniFocus iPad window versus the Mac window. What, what's the t- experience like? I have to confess I am ignorant on that question <laughs> <laughs> because... Um, I do have, you know, also here on this desk, a giant display, but it's always attached to one of the several Macs that are also on my desk here, right? So, uh, and I'll switch between them. Uh, and I, even though I have this iPad also kind of plugged up right here uh, and talking every day, I don't use it the same way, right? Like when I'm, when I'm thinking about using a giant display, I generally, um, I'm using a Mac. <laughs> I'm using the way it, it manages windows and everything. So, um, so I don't know. I would love to hear <laughs> feedback, uh, and, uh, if someone feels like it's not working the way it ought to, I would, of course, love to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, but it is a, a very it's a very good iPad citizen where it gets nice and big and nice and small, like an iPhone. If you want to be that small, so yeah, it, it's a very good citizen there. So uh, good, yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is um, it is just wild that uh, you just hook up to, to displays now and have you know these apps scale up gracefully with it. It's it's a nice change. Yeah, 
Right. Yeah. I'm glad. To be clear, I'm sure we have plenty of testers out there who are using it this way and plenty of customers who are using it that way. Uh, And so I would hope that during the test flight process, people would have told us. (laughs) But but it's not a way I personally work. Yeah. No. Yeah. We spoke about that earlier. The iPad has a certain role and each computer kind of, they have their different roles, which makes sense. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, speaking of different computers, different roles, uh, one of the most exciting things outside of the iPad release is the Apple Watch, which I'm a huge fan of that platform. And we finally have a standalone app that doesn't rely on the iPhone for syncing, which is which is great on multiple levels. First off, just reliability. You don't have to worry about your iPhone being there. But also, if you're a multiple Apple Watch person like uh, I am... Um, <laughs> I have an Ultra and uh, a Series Watch, and I use them for different things. And... Uh, it was, it's always a pain in the butt for apps that rely on Bluetooth syncing because you basically have to have one primary watch and the second one's kind of short shrift there. Right, right. But yeah, it's totally standalone, and this is thanks to SwiftUI, I assume, right? That you're able to do- yeah, no, exactly. Uh, I mean, one of the nice things about uh, the work that Apple's done on the watch over the past you know decade that it's been going on is that it... Uh, well, first of all, it's gotten so much faster, much a lot more memory, and so on. Like it's, it now has as much memory as the original iPad does, and that's funny. Yeah, it has, it, it's crazy. I look at it; it's sixty-four gigabytes of memory. And I remember I had two original iPads. I had a sixty-four gig, but I also had a sixteen gigabyte iPad. Right. <laughs> I had two of them. I both the high and the low. I did. Yeah, sixty-four gigabytes, a little sucker. It's 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 you know iPod territory. A good iPod at that uh, for storage. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, so not only did they make all of the hardware much more capable, and it just might have been this tiny thing on your wrist, but they uh, made the operating system more capable and the app APIs more capable as, uh, as Swift UI has come over to it and has become really kind of the de facto way to write a watch app, a native watch app. And so, uh, so yes, we brought over uh, you know the ability now to. Choose your own perspectives. Like the old Apple Watch app, you had to kind of come up with a filtered view of your database that you wanted to see. And you could look at one custom perspective at a time and not even the whole custom perspective. It was like the top, I don't know, 20 items or something out of it. And uh, because all of that work was really being done on your watch and then kind of pushed over to your, uh, sorry, not on your watch. It was being done on your phone and being pushed over to your watch, which is kind of acting like an old terminal. If you use the old mainframe terminology from, you know, the eighties where you'd have this terminal and a, a, you know, mini computer or mainframe computer and they would talk to each other. And so your watch was kind of your terminal to your phone. Um, and it was literally that back in watch OS one where the logic of your app was in fact running on your phone and it was just broadcasting screens over to your watch, but, and taking the input, um, over time, it got a little bit more and more rich. What, what was happening natively on the phone or on the watch, but it was still very limited. Uh, some of the limitations are still there. Like you, you, it is important on a device this small that's running on battery that you don't uh, use up too much battery life. And so there, there are limitations on what we can do with a native app. We can't run in the background and sync, for example. And so uh, sometimes you'll have to launch the app to have it sync. Right. So if you have uh, so, a huge, huge database, you probably have to open that thing up and let it sync down for that initial dump of everything if you want everything on there. At the start, yeah. But once you've synced once, uh, all it's, all it needs to sync afterward are the changes, not the whole database over again. And so it usually can stay up to date pretty easily. We do it, it does support like push notifications coming from your other devices. So as they make changes, they can do push notifications um, that can notify our app. And 
occasionally Apple will run, you know, the operating system will run it in the background and it will get to do its syncing work. But uh, again, it, it's, that's a, a choice that Apple has to kind of limit so that you don't run down your, you know, the last thing you want is a dead watch on your wrist. No, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so it, but all of this then, you know, as long as you are willing to understand the constraints and then live within them, it's so much, so nice to have a powerful native version of the app where all of the logic actually runs right there on your watch. Uh, and so not only can you have all of your perspective, you know, you can, choose which favorite perspectives you want to see on the home screen, but at any time you can choose others and put them on there instead uh, because they're already on your watch. You can uh, then go into the perspective. You'll see stuff that's up to date right at that moment. Uh, as you check things off, uh, all of the logic runs, it says, okay, well that's checked off. So the next task is now available. So it'll show up when it, you know, it previously been hidden uh, things like that, that Previously, you would have to wait for your watch to go sync with your phone, for your phone to run all the real logic, and then push a new update out to the watch. And, uh, yeah, and that was one reason that we only had one perspective at a time, because that was just too much. <laughs> Otherwise, to, uh, Yeah, and uh, it, it looks like you're also taking advantage of new watchOS features. Like, I believe they're in the, your, the widget stack if you swipe down from the watch face, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some of the other you know new features that have come up over the last few years that uh, we get to share a lot of the same code that we use in, in widgets elsewhere. So, uh, and of course, uh, we also, with the new watch app, uh, we redid the complication support. So you can now have multiple complications of OmniFocus showing different perspectives if you want in different locations. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, a completely rebuilt app, lots of new features. So you, you could have an OmniFocus watch face, basically, and have all sorts of different ones scattered throughout. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you can just swipe over to the other, uh, another watch face when that's not what you want to look at anymore. You're doing something else. And so, uh, so I use that a lot, actually, to have OmniFocus on one watch face and then, you know, maybe calendar stuff on a different watch face and swipe between them. And fortunately, in what watchOS 10.2, the one that just came out, you can swipe again easily rather than having to long press to swipe to get to a different, it's a settings option. Uh, which my wife is glad it's the other way because she doesn't want to ever leave the normal default watch face unless she's <laughs> really doing it intentionally. Yeah, I used to like swiping back and forth, and then um, I had a daughter, and then she discovered that she could do that, <laughs> and I, I'm kind of glad by this. It's just age. too easy. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Omni Pro, Omni Focus Pro is available as well. Um, so you guys have had this, I think, think since version one, a pro and a standard, right? Version two. So version two is when that came out. Okay. So version are, one, we kind of considered to be a pro app in the first place. Like everything <laughs> was pro. And then with version two, we were in the app store at that point and we actually delayed calling it version two for a long time. Like we version one was, uh, originally on the Mac and then a year later was on the iPhone when the iPhone became available. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a few years later was then on the iPad as well. And then, uh, a few years later we finally decided, okay, clearly Apple's not going to make the app store do something about how to, how do we handle upgrades? And it's time for us to figure this out. And so, uh, so we shipped version two and then we're like, well, how are we going to, um, you know, we're used to giving upgrade discounts to customers who go from an older version to a new version because they're, they already have some of the functionality. They're looking for the new functionality and they're willing to pay that differential, but they want to pay for the entire app all over again from scratch. And so that was where pro came into existence because what we decided was, well, okay, we can, uh, give everybody, uh, you know, I, 
you, you, when you buy the app, in-app purchases had just been introduced by Apple. So that was the other factor that made this now possible, um, that we could uh, make the pro stuff be something uh, that... Sorry, but if you had the older version, you would get standard for free and then you would pay for the pro upgrade and <laughs> something along those lines. I don't remember now uh, that the standard and pro split fit into our upgrade model, which has now shifted like five times since then. <laughs> so yeah. I apologize for my vague yeah, memories. Of, wait, no, that wasn't how it worked in that first iteration, was it? <laughs> but anyway, um, it's all gotten easier now that we, once we got to the point where we decided all of our apps would just be free downloads to begin with, and then all of the purchases were in-app purchases, which we could charge whatever we wanted for and, and make that work out better. With this time around, how did you uh, make the decision, what are the new pro features versus the standard ones? Sure. So we kind of, we kept the same model that we have had in the past where the all of the basic functionality of the app is available in standard. But if you want anything, if, and some level of customization as well, because Different people are going to want different levels of fields in, in their outlines, for example, by default. But if you wanted to do richer customization where you have a custom perspective that has its own set of rules for what content goes in it, that has its own sets of custom fields and so on that get displayed or edited, uh, then those are pro features. Um, and so the custom perspectives have been features as long as we've had a pro, uh, that are pro features as long as we've had a pro edition. And, uh, uh, so that's one of the features, of course, that is that remains a, a pro feature now. The focus mode, um, which is another favorite feature that I forgot to mention when we were talking about, you know, favorite features. Uh, we've always had a focus mode on Mac, uh, which would let you say, okay, well, I want to focus in on my work folder now because I'm at work and I don't want to be distracted by all of my personal tasks when I'm at work. Uh, oh, and then I go home at the end of the day and like, okay, well, I don't want to see work anymore. It's time to focus on personal, on recreation, on, uh, you know, what shows was I going to watch or whatever, you know, however you want to use your database. Um, and so, uh, so that focus feature is also a pro feature. Um, as is, uh, and then finally, the ultimate customization is on the automation support, where you can write JavaScript plugins, uh, where you can, uh, you know, build, use that to do templates or uh, integrations with other apps, all sorts of different things that uh, that that enables, and and that is also a pro feature. And so, there there are a few other minor things like uh, being able to change the app icon. <laughs> <laughs> thing, but, uh, yeah, and once a feature is a pro feature. Like OmniFocus 2 Pro, everything from Pro on that version continues to be Pro. Has anything shifted down over the years? I was, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't think anything has um, in OmniFocus. It certainly has in some of our other apps at times. I guess we uh, thought about where the Pro split should happen for OmniGraffle or something that, you know, over time that boundary can change. But I think we had a pretty good. Uh, notion at, from the start with OmniFocus of, okay, well, this is stuff that is is basic that you, can, you can't really feel like this is a good solid app without it. Um, and of course, a basic OmniFocus has to be richer than something like basic Reminders because that's free and built in, right? So it, the the basic OmniFocus is still a very powerful tool, but it's not nearly as customizable as the Pro OmniFocus. And that's kind of where we draw the line. It's like, what level of customization do you need? So for those new to OmniFocus, they've never tried before, how would you advise people to get started with this app? And I know there's an awesome reference manual if you are into reading. Uh, that's very detailed. And Yeah, so, yeah thank you. Uh, 
Well, of course, I think the, the best way to get started is to download the free trial. So, you know, we, we do make it freely available on the App Store. Um, one of my pet peeves about the App Store is that <laughs> if, if our app is free to download, it lists us as a free app. It's not a free app, right? We do have a free trial. Um, uh, we, would, we would love to be able to voluntarily list our app as a paid app uh, in the App Store. But anyway, sorry, I, I digress. Um, so yeah, download the free trial, check it out, try it out for a few weeks. There is a built-in tutorial that you can that you can add that is customized to whatever device you're using. So, you know, if you're on the iPhone or the iPad or the Mac, you get separate different versions of that little, you know, welcome to OmniFocus kind of tutorial. And, uh, and as you go through there, you know, it will teach you the fundamentals of how to use the app. And I think that's a fine way to get started. There are lots of places you can go from there, different tools from different, you know, people like uh, Tim Stringer over at LearnOmniFocus.com has a great set of uh, classes and courses and so on. Uh, Kurosh uh, has some great material with uh, a book that he wrote. Uh, oh goodness, what has it been? Over a decade ago, I guess now about, uh, about you know, finding flow with OmniFocus and so on. So, um, yeah, a lot of tools out there, resources out there. And, of course, you're welcome to contact us, and, and we are happy to uh, share others that we find and learn about. Awesome. And the, the free trial, do you pick if it's standard or pro or how's that work out with that? When you're in the trial mode, there's a switch, uh, in the licensing pane where you can switch between pro and standard. So you oh, can nice. see so you can experience you can find out what yeah. the difference is. Yeah, That's exactly. Nice, yeah. Make it really easy on everybody. Uh, in fact, when you buy pro, you still have that switch because we figure you know, sometimes when like somebody like Tim Stringer in this you know earlier example, he's going to want to do a course and maybe he'll want to be teaching people who don't have pro. And so it's handy for him to be able to turn that off and see exactly what they would be seeing. Uh, and so, and then for the first time ever at the Omni group, uh, Omni focus four is a single purchase for iPad, iPhone, Apple watch, and the Mac. Uh, can you tell me a bit about this shift and how this is accomplished in the constraints of the app store where people, I don't know if you can still buy the Mac version directly from you and how upgrades would work. Like if I only own the Mac version, does that mean I can also get this new one purchase to get everything? Yes. One purchase gets you everything. And this is the first time we've done it at an app's launch. It's not the first staff we've done it for. So Omni, Omni plan four actually has this uh, already in there, but we didn't launch Omni plan four simultaneously across all its platforms. So we shipped it for the Mac first and then for the iPad and iPhone later on, like a year later. And so uh, this is the first time we've, you know, kind of put the whole app together, launched it as one. And uh, the purchase was available as a universal purchase right at the start. Uh, and, uh, the way that works is wherever you buy it, whether you're buying it through in-app purchase on the App Store uh, or whether you're buying it on our online store, uh, you know, you maybe you downloaded it from our website. And so it doesn't have in-app purchase there. You you do the purchase on our at store.omnigroup.com. But uh, wherever you buy it, your purchase is associated with your Omni account. And this is, you know, much like using a Microsoft account for Microsoft 365. And, and you know, when you buy Office somewhere, then it's licensed everywhere. Uh, if you buy OmniFocus somewhere, it's licensed everywhere. You just have to sign into the same account so that we know you're licensed. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's, I guess it's pretty awesome that Apple's flexible enough to allow this, like, because some customers may not even pay Apple money for, for this at all. They just right. it to you, which is great. Um, that, that option is available. Like, this is something that I didn't think was, was super easy to implement. So that's, that's great. 
I mean, Netflix has been doing this for years. Microsoft has been doing it for years as well. So it's, yes. it's not new to us, uh, for sure. Uh, we, we're not trotting new ground here, but it's, um, and, and, you know, I don't begrudge Apple their, their cut of our sales no, that, that come through their in-app purchase and their platform, right? But, uh, and when people do it, you know, download it that way and buy it that way, um, that pushes us up in Apple's charts that increases our visibility in the app store. That makes it easier for other people to find us. So, you know, there are pluses and minuses either way, but, uh, we're happy however people want to buy it. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that we just want to give people options and much like we, we want to give people options when they buy it, whether they would like to pay once for OmniFocus 4 for, for you know, every version of OmniFocus 4 until um, version 5 comes out, which some some point time <laughs> down the road. Um, or if they would prefer the annual subscription approach or the monthly subscription approach, you know, it's, um, many apps now uh, have moved to that model as their only model. Uh, we think it's a fine model for people who want it, but we don't want to force it on anyone. And so, so we offer both options. You can license the app using a subscription. You can license the app uh, by paying us once uh, for this version. So hypothetically, if a Vision OS version of OmniFocus 4 was released at some point in the, the future, who knows when, um, would you aim to include it in this same license that you've already paid for for this original launch? Well, wouldn't it be awkward if we had just spent all this time unifying our purchase and <laughs> universal, and then said, "Oh, sorry, uh, this has, this one's now a separate." Purchase. You know, the thirty you you <laughs> can afford it. You just spent thirty five hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so we do plan uh, to make it part of the universal purchase. But when you when you buy the app, you get it everywhere, and then we mean everywhere uh, that we don't have to run something to make it happen. Uh, so the one place that it doesn't, that you don't get is OmniFocus for the web, which, uh, is, you know, we have to run a service there. And when you're paying for a subscription for OmniFocus for the web, which is, is you can do as a separate add on subscription or it's bundled with the other subscription. If you go the subscription route generally, um, if you go, if you buy it uh, separately, what you're paying for is, you know, our, the time for our sysadmins to keep those servers running, maintain stuff, keep it up to date, all of the, the work that um, that goes into maintaining and, and keeping that service available and running. So. Yeah, because that's more of a service than a just a download and it's running on your machine. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're actually, you're literally running a copy of all of the OmniFocus code on one of our Macs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have several Mac minis that, uh, that we just upgraded to, uh, you know, to Apple Silicon hardware. They had been Intel hardware, um, but now they're, you know, we wanted them to run the same uh, latest logic that we have in OmniFocus for, and so, um, so we upgrade. You know, we upgraded to the latest of everything, and and then like, okay, now we'll we'll run uh, these OmniFocus server processes over on those. It's got to feel pretty good having OmniFocus four out and Swift UI and being able to use Apple's modern tools as they come out. Has this experience um, energized you to potentially do this shift with other? With some of your other apps, uh, when they reach their big times for upgrades, yeah, yeah. So, uh, since the last time we talked, we've started a public test flight of Omni Graffle Eight, and it is doing much the same thing. Where all of the inspectors have now been rebuilt using SwiftUI, uh, where you know all of this is is now happening in, in other apps as well. You know, it will take time to 
to do this sort of transition uh, for all of our apps because we have a lot of complex apps. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of work that has gone into them over the, in time, and we don't want to lose anything in this transition with any of them. And so, uh, so I, this won't be an overnight transition, but it's certainly the direction we're headed. Uh, I think it makes sense. I will say OmniGraphle could be interesting in Vision OS. <laughs> It could, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, we're we are I mean, we're planning to bring all of our apps to Vision OS. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'll just say that. Yeah, no, I'm excited for that. Um hopefully that will be easy enough to purchase next year whenever it launches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I look yeah. forward to finding out how soon that launches and <laughs> being able to have one at home. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So But that's and, a whole different podcast. So anything about OmniFocus 4 we haven't covered yet that you'd like to before we wrap it up? I mean, so I guess we've talked about the uh, the balanced experience. So we, that, you know, retaining the power while having this much more approachable design. We've already talked about the universal purchase. I think we've hit on the uh, the big highlights, really, for the release. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> and congrats again on your launch, uh, OmniFocus 4. This is really, really incredible um, to... to have it for the holidays to be playing around with as I have some time off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good timing for us because we know that a lot of our customers, you know, particularly when we get to New Year's, they they start wanting to think about, well, how do I want my system to work? And they're revamping yeah. everything. And uh, we didn't want people to have to do that in OmniFocus 3 yet another year. It's time for yeah. OmniFocus 4 to be available to everyone. So and, am I, here it is. Does Apple, they, do they still start, shut down the app, app store at the end of the year? Is that a thing that happened? So they have done that for many years. Uh, this year, though, the letter that we got from Apple was that it would not be shutting. Like, they don't shut, shut down new submissions, but it will be, um, I think, the, the review times and so on. They weren't would be slower because they won't have as, you know, people do take vacations over the holidays, and that's fair. We want them to be able to do that <laughs> and come back refreshed. But yeah, yeah, I was just like, it's. I was going to say, it's great. You made it before the cutoff of submissions or whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, where can people find more information about OmniFocus 4 and your other awesome apps? Sure. So OmniFocus specifically, you can find it OmniFocus.com. That, that makes that easy. Uh, and, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the, uh, the automation stuff uh, today. You can find that work uh, like the plugins and so on. And I assume we'll have some show notes with links, yep. but at Omni-Automation.com. And then, you know, all of our apps uh, to help you be more productive uh, can be found at omnigroup.com. Great. Omnigroup.com. So that's Omni, uh, OmniFocus, of course, but also Omni Outliner that we've talked about some here in, in today's show, but uh, also OmniPlan, which does Gantt charts and you know, that sort of traditional project scheduling uh, for more complex uh, project needs. And then uh, OmniGraffle, which is our diagramming software. Excellent. And yeah, congrats on the launch of OmniFocus 4. It's uh, now available as you listen to us. All right. Thank you, Tim. Well, that concludes my discussions with Ken all about OmniFocus 4. My thanks to Ken for recording these interviews. My thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over at patreon.com slash ipapros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Get early access to both ipapros and Vision Pros by supporting at either place. I hope everyone enjoys the holidays and has a wonderful end of 2023. 2024 is looking to be a very exciting time with tons of new iPads and the Apple Vision Pro launching very soon here. With that, I'll talk to everyone again in 2024. Thanks for listening.